And our scripture reading today is found in Psalm 1. Psalm 1. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Before we commence on God's word or today's message today, let's just take some time once again to welcome one another. Look around you. Give a big hi. Look at people with those beautiful eyes and Acknowledge one another in the Lord. And for those of you who are joining us online as well, we welcome you to our Sunday service as well. It is always a joy to gather together, brothers and sisters. It's always a joy to be able to see one another and to know that here we have family. And family is complicated. It always has been. If we simply look at the genealogy of Jesus, we see in his genealogy, his family was very complicated. There were kings who were disobedient to the Lord. There was a woman of ill repute. But all that to say that Jesus understands that the family of God is complicated. But that the redemption that he offers to all, well, can be received by all, no matter how complicated a church may be or how complicated our relationships may be. We come here to have hope. And we come here to acknowledge that whatever hope that the Lord gives us, we need to hold on to with both of our hands. And through God's grace and through God's power, to walk and to apply that hope in our lives. This is why we gather together on Sunday, to worship Him and not to forget this. We stop meeting together. We stop encouraging one another to our own peril and to the peril of whatever church you may belong to. This includes here at CCPC as well. So we're here by faith, brothers and sisters, by faith in Christ alone. And it's because of him that we can follow him, that our hearts are open to receive him, that our hearts are open to receive one another. So praise be to the Lord, praise be to our God who has gathered us here together. We start a new sermon series The sermon series is entitled, Christ in the Psalms. 
And today is a simple introduction as we go a little bit through Psalm 1. But I want to sort of instruct you and encourage you to read the Psalms, but to read the Psalms in a very different way. And to read the Psalms in a way that I believe Scripture has instructed his people to read them. Now, in our world today, we know that there are Psalms that are very much popularized in our culture. If you've ever gone to a funeral, even if they are people who do not know Jesus, oftentimes you'll hear read Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it brings great comfort to all people. Praise be to God that God's word has, has effect on all peoples. But the Psalms are written for God's people foremost, and not necessarily for the world. In other words, the Psalms are written for you, written for God's people. We know that the Psalms were originally meant to be read during the worship of the, of the, of the Hebrew people during the temple times. And we know that this was also used in the liturgy in, in the early synagogues as well. You see, the Psalms were their hymn book. It was their spiritual songs. They would sort of chant these, um, these psalms. We call it cantillation. And they would, they would chant them in such a way that they would be able to memorize these psalms. But the psalms were there to help the people to express with full emotion their love for the Lord, their cries for help, their praises to the Lord, to even recount history and to remember God's faithfulness. But it's done in such a way that it wasn't dry, but it's done in such a way that your emotions were caught up into it. And so all the people of Israel during their time of service or worship to the Lord would cantillate or sing these songs to him. And you can imagine that this rhythm that they had helped them to memorize. And they would all sing together. Praise be to the Lord. There are even some denominations of, of Christian brothers who actually don't sing hymns. They don't even sing praise songs. They only sing psalms. It's called the Psalter. And they have different tunes that you can sing with different parts of the psalms. And they've, they've metered them in such a way that the meter of the lyrics measures the meter of the music. And it's actually absolutely beautiful. Now, we got a taste of this a long time, a while ago, when we actually sang from the hymn book, Psalm 23. Remember, the Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie. It's a way for us to, to praise God with the very words in his book, in the Psalms itself. Now it's good for you. It is good for you in your daily life with the Lord to simply read the Psalms and to echo the words in the hearts to the Lord. 
There might be times where you are going through suffering. There are wonderful psalms declaring to the Lord, Lord, why am I going through this? And there are psalms that will help you to praise God. And you're just like, I don't have words to praise God today. Let me look through the psalms. Here's some great words. Let me just read this back to you, Lord. And so an application and practicality to, to you and me, by all means, go and go quickly to read the Psalms. Now, one thing I would encourage you guys to do, there's 150 Psalms, is just read a Psalm a day. Now, Psalm 119 is a little bit longer, so you can split it up a little bit there. But if, if, you, if you do that, you'll get to read all the Psalms at least two times a year. And you'll be able to feel what you need to feel about the truth of the gospel to know who the Lord is. Now that's all great. Wonderful practical theology. Wonderful and very being very pragmatic for all of us who know the Lord. But the psalms is deeper than that. And the way that we can apply the psalms is much more profound than that. And this profundity, I pray, will lead you to really worship the Lord. And to see that the psalms is not simply reflection upon your own heart, but to see that the psalms is actually a reflection of God's character. Jesus' love and the Holy Spirit's persistence in your life. For when you sing these psalms or when you recite these psalms or when you meditate on these psalms, the practical theology comes from this richness of history of what Christ has done for you and for me. The reason why it's entitled Christ in the Psalms is because Scripture gives us sort of interpretive framework or interpretive tools or the fancy word for interpretations, hermeneutics. Scripture gives us these interpretive tools to see how the New Testament deals with the Psalms. And this is important because the New Testament gives us hints of how to read the Psalms in a way that's more beneficial to the people of God. And even within the New Testament, you'll see there's, there's the Apostle Paul who uses Psalms in, in different ways. But more importantly, in this series, we're going to see how Christ is in the Psalms. And how we can glorify and see Jesus in the Psalms. And how reading the Psalms doesn't simply help us to emote well, but helps us to love Jesus even more. This is important for us. Jesus is the solid rock upon which we stand. Now, the most, there are very 
many different sort of ways to get to Jesus in the Psalms. The, the scripture is not sort of this monolithic interpretive framework where you go from A to B, B to C. It's not a line of code. The word of God is, is this living, active corpus that the God has given to us. And even in Christ, we see that there are many ways to, to interpret Jesus in the Psalms. For you who know the word of God really well, if you are a seasoned Christian, if you have read the scripture, let's say you've read the scripture, you read the whole Bible, let's just say uh, conservatively once a year, right? We, we all do once a year, right? <laughs> and let's say you've done it for the last 20 years. You start to see the themes come out. And then when you go back and you go and read the Psalms, you start to see Jesus everywhere. A lot of that is just getting being being sort of so much in God's word that the interpretive framework sort of just becomes embedded in you. It's sort of like that, that musician who has never taken formal training and all of a sudden they're just playing music. You're going, how did how, you do that? Or that person who goes to another country and after three months they're speaking the language fluently and you're like, wait, wait, how'd you do that? For us who, who know the Lord and know the Lord well, when we go back to read the Psalms, we read it and we go, oh yeah, Jesus is here. But there are many of us who need to know sort of where these interpretive rules come from. And so we take music lessons to, to learn. We, we take language classes to learn. And so during this series, as we go through different psalms, you're going to see different interpretive ways that the Old Testament, or sorry, the, the psalms, actually reflect Jesus. And each of these ways well, are brought out just simply by the psalm itself. And I pray that as we go through this series, that when you read the psalms, and as you grow in your faith, you see that Jesus is the center of all things. Let me give you one example, because this example will not be part of our series. But we just had Good Friday. And Good Friday is, is a time that we commemorate Jesus' death on the cross. And remember when Jesus died on the cross, he cries out, Lord, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. Now, in the Hebrew culture, the way that you quote a whole book or you quote a whole psalm is simply by reciting the first line. For example, the, the book of Deuteronomy we call it Deuteronomy, right? But that's from the Greek Deuteronomy. You know what the Hebrew people call it? They call it, these are the words. Why? Because those are the first words of Deuteronomy. These are the words. But whenever you say, I'm quoting, these are the words, everyone knows, oh, he's, that he's quoting the whole book of Deuteronomy. He's referring to the whole book of Deuteronomy. So when Jesus is on the cross reciting my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
He's not just quoting the first verse. He's quoting the whole psalm. And what, what we see there is that when we look at Psalm 22 now, we look at it in a totally different way. I, I hope you and I can look at it a totally different way. That we see that the, the, the Psalter, the, the group of Psalms we call the Psalter, that the Psalter was actually Jesus' hymn book as well. That Jesus actually used the, the Psalter for his own worship of the Lord. But there's a twist to it. There's, there's, there's a magnificent, magnificent depth to that. When we know that the Savior of the world, when he recites it, it's different than when you and I recite it. When you and I recite, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know that as Christians, we know through the book of Romans, that when the Jesus saves us, when the Holy Spirit comes within us, Jesus never, or the Lord never says, here's the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to take it away. I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to take it away. God does not play games with people's hearts. When you have received the Spirit, you have the Spirit. When we say, God, God, why have you forsaken me? For us, the implication is, God, I, I I don't know where you are. I know you're here, but I don't feel like you're here. Wonderful application. Read Psalm 22 at times when you feel like God is far from you. And you'll see that the second half of Psalm 22 well, actually gives you hope that God is actually near and God's will will be done. But think about it in the context of Jesus himself. When Jesus recites Psalm 22. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is, this is just a good Friday sort of little message here. It means that Jesus was actually completely forsaken by God. Completely. When we say that Jesus died and that he was buried for three days. When, he, when we say that he, he entered into Hades. We don't literally mean that he entered into a place called Hades. What we, what we interpret there is very simple, is that for three days, Jesus knew no fellowship with God. Think about that. Jesus has been with God for, in the Godhead forever and ever. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's this mystery that for somehow for three days, this Godhead was sort of split. And Jesus, for the first time ever, was away from the Father and the Spirit. I mean, for some of you, your, your parents, they'll, they'll miss you when, you when you're at college the first time. Remember, like, your mom cries, your dad cries, and you're like, I'm going to miss my son, I'm going to miss my daughter. Think about Jesus. All of a sudden, Psalm 22 looks very different, does it not? And you read Psalm 22, it's not about me. It's not about Israel. It's not even about the church, first and foremost. It's about Christ and what he suffered on the cross. And even Jesus needed the Psalter and God's word. But he is the one who spoke those words most truthfully. 
than anyone else in history. And your heart must, it'll beat. This is how much Jesus loves me. This is how Jesus loves me. Christ is in the Psalms. And in Psalm 22, we see one interpretive framework that the Psalter in Jesus' mouth has a most profound, profound interpretation most profound effect than anyone else in human history. And our love for Christ grows. Our love for Him expands. How beautiful. How beautiful it is. Now here in this passage that we're looking at today, and again, this is sort of an introduction, so even as we go through Psalm 1, uh, many of you, I pray and I hope that you will go back and read Psalm 1, because there's a lot of things that I wish I could spend time on. And in many ways, this series would be better served as a Bible study um, than a sermon series. But I believe that this is profoundly helpful to all of us in worshiping the Lord. Psalm 1 is the first book of the Psalter, or the first book of the Psalms. Psalm 1 is the entranceway, the, the gate to all of the Psalms. And in fact, for us to understand the Psalter as a whole, we need to really sit on Psalm 1 and understand what Psalm 1 is teaching us so that we can have a, a better framework to go through on the, the other 149 psalms in the Psalter. This psalm is a wisdom psalm. It's a psalm about who is wise, who is unwise, who is blessed as opposed to who is not blessed, uh, who is righteous as opposed to who is wicked. And at first glance, when we read this psalm, we, we, we see that this idea of wisdom, literature, or wisdom in itself, um, it, it makes sense to us who live in this world. We, we all want to know what is the right thing to do as opposed to what is the wrong thing to do. We all want to be seen as righteous, not as wicked. We want to be blessed. No one here goes around saying, I want to be cursed. We want to know the wise way to, to navigate through this world. Um, wisdom is more important in a lot of ways than knowledge. We all understand that. When we go to school or in our workplace, you, know, you, get your, you go to work and you get your package and you see what your financial um, package will look like, but you also get a literature about the culture of the company you are working at and, and their goals and what they dream of doing and their expectations. But when you go to work or when you go to school, you realize that, well, those things are important, but there are a lot of facts in between of how to actually navigate those things. 
how to navigate your major, how to navigate your workplace. And, and that's where wisdom comes in. Here in Psalm 1, it is very simple. Blessed is the man who does not sort of sit with people, stand with people, or walk with people who are wicked. In other words, who walk with people who do not know the Lord. That there is a truthfulness for all of us that in order for us to be wise and to grow in our faith, that we need to surround ourselves first and foremost with people who know God. We need to be influenced by people who know the Lord. That's what it means by not being unequally yoked with unbelievers, as Paul tells the Corinth church. It's not simply about, about marriage relationships, but it's about all relationships. It's like, who has say over your life? It has to be those who are righteous, who know the Lord. And then it goes on to say that that. For this man, for this person, his delight is in God's commandments or in God's law. In other words, that this man not only sort of shuns the way of, of scoffers and mockers for his personal well-being, for his personal relationship with the Lord, but he also spends time in God's word, in God's word, is where all wisdom resides. And he's a man who meditates and thinks about these day and night. And this word meditation is a beautiful word in Hebrew. It, it simply means to chew on. Think of, a, think of a cow with its myriad of stomachs, chewing and chewing, one stomach to another, to another, to another. Really chewing until it's all the nutrition is taken out of, of the feed. In the same way, when it says we meditate, it doesn't mean sort of going into space, but it means to really think deeply about God's word. Now, this is a person who is, bled, who is blessed. This person does not, does not, um, does not wither, but he's like a, a tree that, that will, that will um, give its fruit in season. And the contrast is what? It's the wicked. They are like the, the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, and he gives sort of an, an end goal for all of us. So uh, in, in wisdom literature, there needs to be a goal for, for, for why we are wise. If you're a student, the goal for being wise in your, in your major is figuring out how to navigate it, right? Because what they write in, the, in, in their school guide is not the same thing in terms of how you're going to actually graduate. But the goal is to graduate. So that's why, you know, if you're a freshman or a sophomore, you need to ask upperclassmen, how do I actually graduate from this program? And the same here, it's in Psalm 1. It's like, what, what's the ultimate goal of, of, of gaining this wisdom. Well, it's being able to stand before the Lord at the end of days. You see, for, for the wicked, for those who do not know the Lord, when, when they hear about Judgment Day, they think of 
only the judgment and they think of only of retribution and they think only of this is not fair, this is not just. And they won't stand before the Lord. But for those who are righteous, for those who are wise, for those who are blessed, for those who, who walk the way, for those who meditate on God's word, they will stand in the judgment. In other words, you will enjoy fully the delight of being with the word, which is Jesus himself. And so the rest of the Psalter, if we read it just as an introduction, as sort of just normal, everyday people who can read literature, who can pick out themes. If we read it, not necessarily from a confessional point of view or from a Christian or Jewish point of view, but just as a literary point of view, we see that the Psalm 1 is introducing to us that if we want to be wise, if we want to know what salvation looks like, we need to read the rest of the Psalter. And that in itself is a beautiful introduction. But there's something deeper than that, isn't there? How was Christ reflected in Psalm 1? How can we read this passage in such a way that's not only about sort of me looking for wisdom? Remember, Christianity is not simply a philosophy. It's more than a philosophy. Christianity is more than sort of a set of rules from a wise person of, of how to live life. Christianity is not Tony Robbins. Christianity is not like the old Egyptian wisdom literature that we have in the day either. Christianity is about Christ himself. So the question here is, how is it that Psalm 1 reflects Jesus? There are a couple of ways that we can go through this. Actually, there's more than that. But I just want to offer you two to encourage you. First is to read this in the mouth of Jesus himself, like we did Psalm 22. And to know that Jesus himself, when he read this passage, that he himself understood and knew that there were some people that he needed to take counsel from and some people that he needed to shun away. Now, it doesn't mean that he hated those people. It doesn't mean that these scoffers, these wicked, that he sort of pushed them away. But he did not allow these people to influence his thoughts, his mission, his love for the Lord. Do you remember the Gospels? When Jesus said to his disciples, listen, I'm going to have to die, and then three days I'll, I'll rise again. Do you remember that? And the disciples says, no way, we're not going to let you die, Jesus. And Peter speaks up and says, no way, Lord. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Whoa. 
Does that literally mean that Jesus says to Peter, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Just leave me because you just said something that's not good counsel. No, but he rebuked him. Still loved him. Built his church around him. But even Jesus took this Psalm 1 to heart. Even the Savior of the world who knows all temptation, understands that he needed to take counsel only from those who could give good counsel. And for those who spoke against the Lord, he needed to rebuke and walk away from. Jesus was a wise man. Jesus was a man who needed God's word and use God's word to great effect. We can also read it this way. Who is it that delighted in God's word more than anyone else? It's Jesus himself. Before Jesus entered into ministry, remember, he was tempted by Satan. And every temptation that that Satan threw at him. Jesus would quote scripture. Scripture was his lifeline to becoming a wise person as well. Now there is a mystery here. He's both God and man. But it does not negate the truth that Jesus depended upon scripture, knowing it and meditating on it that allowed him to battle. This psalm belongs to Jesus. These are his words. This allowed him to fend off temptation. This allowed him to live that perfect and righteous life. This allowed him to lay down his life. This allowed him to impute to you righteousness and to take from you your unrighteousness. This allowed Jesus to be the perfect, stainless Lamb of God for you. Praise be to our God who gives us all things. Brothers and sisters, secondly and lastly, we can read the psalm in a different way. We can see that the object of the psalm of wisdom is not simply the laws of the Old Testament. But the fulfillment of this law, as we see in, in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter, chapter, chapter 5, when Jesus says, I have not come to abolish law, but to fulfill the law. We see in 1 Corinthians when Jesus says, I am the wisdom, when Jesus is the wisdom of God, as Paul proclaims, that the object of Psalm 1 is simply Christ himself. To meditate on the law of the Lord, brothers and sisters, 
is to meditate on Christ and his fulfillment of the law. So think of it. When you're going through the Ten Commandments, and you're going through, thou shall not murder, and you meditate on that. That's a tough passage to meditate on, right? And Jesus says, well, if you hated anyone, or you said raka to any, any of your brothers, you, you, you're, you're liable to, you know, to the Lord himself. How is that redemptive? But as you go deeper, you go, well, Jesus is the one who fulfilled the law. Jesus is the only one who never hated anyone. Jesus is the only one who is not liable to anything. That Jesus was found pure. And you find yourself, if I meditate on the law of God, I'm meditating on Christ's perfection of the law of the Lord. Because if you meditate just on the law as the law is, it will just lead to death. But you see Christ. And we see the same thing here about the understanding of wisdom. How do we gain wisdom? By drawing near to Jesus. Jesus is the wisdom of the Lord. Wisdom is not a set of abstract principles anymore. But wisdom is found embodied in Christ's love for you and for me. And so who do we draw near to? Who do we walk with? Who do we, who do we stand with? Who do we sit with? Where does our mind meditate on? It's Christ and what he's done. All of God's word points to your Savior. It gives you joy in him. God's word, it's not Instagram. It's not pithy sayings. It's not shallow advice from a fortune cookie. It's not something that you run to in your horoscope. It's not one-liners that you give to your parents or you give to your children to motivate them. Christ and Scripture is deep and profound, rich and unsaleable. When you work through the Spirit and reading the Lord's Word well, you'll be overwhelmed by the love of Christ in your life. So I encourage all of you. God has given you his word. Go and read the Psalms. And ask yourself the question when you read the Psalms now. Where can I find Jesus? Don't worry if you make a lot of mistakes right now. It's like getting in front of the piano without learning. Some of you will just be playing some cool jazz riff that no one knows. But just play. Look for Jesus and the Spirit will be there. Look for Jesus, and I pray that during this series, the next 11, 11 weeks, there's 11, 12 songs we're going to be going through. 
the Lord will open your eyes to see everything is about him. Praise be to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for he and he alone has saved. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy in all things. Lord, you are indeed in all of Scripture. And you give us the interpretive tools we need um, in your Scripture to interpret other Scripture, Lord God. Uh, we do not make things up simply to make things up. But we look to your word and your word alone. We pray, Lord, that your word would have power here in this fellowship, in this church, to change our hearts, to bring us joy in you, to teach us what it means to lament, teach us what it means to cry out for help, but also teach us, Lord, how to be thankful, to encourage, to love, to exude joy. Father, we belong to you. And your spirit, Lord, tells us that we are your children. And you have not left us alone trying to find wisdom and things of this natural world, but you've given us your word through your scriptures. And your scriptures, Lord, teaches us and changes us and, and see that Christ and Christ alone is the goal for us who believe. So, Lord, be with us and bless us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.